1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 21 is where we're going to be this morning. And I titled our message this morning, Final Words. This is the last time uh, that we're going to be turning to the book of 1 Timothy. It's been uh, a journey for us. This is about our 20th sermon that we've been in and through the book of 1 Timothy. And we've learned a lot, and we've been challenged in a lot of different ways uh, to, to see the church as something that's important, so important that Paul instructs Timothy to go to the church at Ephesus and to teach them and to be faithful to his word in the areas of the pastors and elders that he places in those churches, in the areas of deacons, and in the areas of people that are ministering in those churches and what positions they should uh, be, be serving. But also he gets to us individually in our hearts and he challenges us to love God, to serve God. And last, last week, that's, that's really what it was all about. Uh, ending in verse 16 was this idea that Paul reminded Timothy, remember who you're serving. Go hard after your faith. Walk the good, or to fight the good fight of faith. Uh, and, and hopefully last week you were challenged by that. It's this impassioned plea to Timothy to, to, to love God, embrace God, and share that to the churches that he's ministering to. We come to our text this morning, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 21. And again, I've titled our message, Final Words, and that's what we're going to look at today, Timothy's final words to us in this book. A a criminal trial typically consists of five different phases, choosing a jury, opening statements, uh, witness, testimony, and cross-examination, closing arguments, and then jury deliberation and verdict, okay? Okay. And in those different phases of this, one seems to stand out, and the one that seems to stand out is the closing arguments. I mean, all the different aspects of it are important. Of course, you're presenting your case, you're getting the true facts out, but if you can't take all of those facts, narrow them down as as a person that is making an argument and trying to help the jury see it from your perspective and to put into action what you've taught them, then you're missing it. And that's really what comes to be when someone is giving their closing arguments. They're taking everything that's already been taught, they're narrowing it down and say, see, let me reiterate it for you, let me give you the the most important, the biggest ideas, the biggest truths, and then take those, put those into practice, and make the decision based on the truth that I'm giving you. As we look at our passage today, Paul does this same exact thing to Timothy. Like I've said and mentioned, we've already been taught many, many different things throughout this book of 1 Timothy, and it almost seems like it should have ended with verse 16. He makes this impassioned plea to love God, to live for God, to serve him, but then we come back and we have this section, verse 17 through 21, and really what he does in this section is he brings to a conclusion the final remarks that he has, and he reminds Timothy, Timothy, once again, remember what's most important. And that's what we're going to look at today. The things that are most important that Timothy brings to a conclusion in our passage in 1 Timothy. So let's read the passage together in its entirety. Then we'll divide it up and see what Paul has to teach us this morning. Verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says this. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, 
to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which, truly, which is truly life. Verse 20, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from faith. Grace be with you. Let's bow in a word of prayer as we look at our text this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you. We ask that you help us this morning understand the passage. Not just understand it in knowledge, Lord, but then give us the desire to put what is taught in these verses into practice in our life. Be with us as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our final challenge by Timothy is this. As we leave this letter, take the big picture of the Christian life with you. Take the big picture of the Christian life with you. That's take a step back, as we've talked about before. Don't keep your head down into the little day-to-day things that are happening with life and with church. But take the big picture of why we're living, why we're here, what we're doing here. All of those things he focuses on in these last five verses. <clears throat> and the first reminder that he gives us, we're going to narrow them down to two final reminders. And the, the, the first reminder that he gives us is, number one, your life as a Christian must not revolve around your earthly riches. Your life as a Christian must not revolve around your earth, earthly riches. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, wait, wait, wait just a minute. We, we just talked about riches. I mean, it was just two Sundays ago that Paul had a, an extended section for us to really focus on riches. And do you remember what that passage said? Look up in the text. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothes with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Well, what do we find here is that Paul sees this as a very important topic, especially to the Ephesians and to those who are going to read this, this passage in the generations to come. The world, the riches that the world has to offer, cannot be what we live for. They're not going to satisfy. Now, in that specific passage, he's talking to those. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, but to those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation. They're, they're, they're the ones that think that money is going to solve all their problems, do everything that they want it to do, give them peace and joy and happiness. They're thinking that, and, and Paul says, Timothy, remind them, Money is not the answer. Now, there's a subtle difference and shift as we get to verse 17. Now, as he, he continues this d- discussion about money, and he uses the teachings that are just mentioned in verses 6 through 10, but then he shifts the focus from the people who are desiring to be rich to those now who are rich. Now, look, look at verse 17. It says, as for the rich in this present age, now stop there. Who are the rich in this present age? Maybe in your mind you automatically say, well, the rich, that's, that's not me. He's not talking to me. I don't have to think about that. But if we really compare ourselves uh, to the people around the world, you know, how, how many riches do we have here in America? I mean, more than we can count, more than we can fathom. I remember when I was in seminary, church I was working at, we took a uh, 
we took a missions trip down to Mexico, and it was for the first time being in a third world country where it really came right in front of your eyes how rich we are in America. I mean, you, got, you see people as you're walking down the street, inviting them to a VBS that we're doing, but they're living in cement, cinder, lock, or cinder block made homes. They look to us like garages, and you're thinking, I can't believe people you know, live in these type of situations. Now, that's not belittling them or thinking anything less of them, but it's reminding us how much physically and rich God has provided for us here in America. And so we look at this passage, and it starts, it says, as for the rich in this present age, who's he talking to? He's talking to you and me. He's talking to us who have things that so many people in the world don't have. So he's challenging us, what do we do with our riches? And as he's talking and giving this instruction, uh, he's also remembering the people of Ephesus. Ephesus is a a very wealthy uh, city, one that has the temple of Artemis, and has given lots of money and wealth, was flowing. And so those people that were worshiping in the wrong way, now they've become believers, they've come to the church, and they have been taught from childhood that riches and wealth is something to have and to flaunt and to show everybody and to just enjoy. Take your, the best things out of life from your wealth. And so he's saying, here, I've got some things to, to leave you with to teach the rich. He's talking to you and me. He's talking to the people at Ephesus. As for the rich in this, in this world, he says this, verse 18, uh, As for the rich in this world, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So what we have in the first section here are negative commands. I mean, we're having riches, and in verse 17, and 18, they're talking all about riches, but verse 17 focuses on the negative side of it. What, not, what to teach the rich people not to do, not to live like. Okay, And he first starts out and he says, charge them not to be haughty, not to be haughty. Now, what does that look like? Okay, don't be haughty. Well, I think there are some things that we can place underneath that category of haughty that we need to be challenged with so that we don't live uh, for our riches and So what does that look like? I think we can place a couple other commands. We should not or don't be prideful and arrogant about your riches. Don't be prideful and arrogant about your riches. That might look like being over flashy with the amount of riches that you have, spending when you don't need to spend, just so that you can show everybody else how wealthy you are. Don't be prideful and arrogant with your riches. Another thing we could add to that is don't be condescending. Because you have, been, you have made it to some level of wealthiness that you think is better than somebody else's, it's easy for you to think, well, you know, look at me. Look what I've done. I've done pretty well for myself. And in that thought process, you look at other people as less than you. And it's all based on your wealth and how much God has actually blessed you with the finances and the, the possessions that he's given you. In that thought process, what happens is we forget who those possessions actually are. We forget that he's given them to us to use for him and for his glory, and it becomes very selfish and all about me. Don't be condescending. Another thought, don't believe your wealth came from your own doing. Don't believe your wealth came from your own doing. 
And you think to yourself, oh, well, what are you talking about? I, I, I went to college. I made it into the job that I, I needed to. It was, it was me. I had some of that. Yes, you had some of that effort into it. But can you imagine if you were born in Africa to, let's say, a mom who was a single parent, who did not have wealth, did not have opportunities? Don't you think your life would have been a completely different scenario? When we try to think of other scenarios outside of that and how blessed we are with what God has given to us, it really puts the focus back on God. And it says, it's all God's. He's blessed me with such, such incredible wealth that how can I not give it back to him? How can I not use it to serve him and to show other people the love of God? Don't believe your wealth came from your own hands and your own doing. Another one, don't believe your wealth grants you all authority and power. Some people act and live this way. I've got more money. Look at everything I have in the bank. I've made it. My business has made it. And so because of that, everybody should listen to me. Everybody should bow down to me. I've got the answers. And I don't know if you've come across those type of people. I have at times when they think because they have that amount of wealth, their ideas and thoughts are above everybody else's. Wealth does not make that you are so much more important than everybody else who is around you. Sometimes that even plays into the church and our thought process in the church. Well, I give this amount of money, and I know that's got to be way more amount of money than everybody else does. And so I should have a bigger weight of my decision-making and my thoughts in the church. I think we've got to be very careful about that. Because then, why, what are we giving our money for? Well, it's, it's because I think that that's going to allow me to have a bigger uh, position in the church. I'm going to be looked up by everybody else. And it's not because I'm giving back to God out of his goodness to me. We've got to be careful that we don't think wealth does some of those things, gives us authority and power. Another one, don't believe your wealth makes you better, better than other people. And don't think less of others because they have less than you. Some of those we've already mentioned. All of those, I think, can be categorized under this idea of don't be haughty with your riches. Don't be haughty thinking, wow, prideful and puffed up. And I'm, I've done so great for myself. Paul says, verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Then he goes on, he says, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So he says, don't be haughty with your riches. Then he says, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. What's it mean? It says, don't believe money is what's going to satisfy. That's the idea of putting your hopes on your riches. Like maybe I don't have it, but now that I have it, look at my bank account and it's going to satisfy me for the rest of my life. I can maybe retire early. Because look at this big number that I have in my account. That's setting my hopes on those things. You know, what, what really trips people up is when their physical body starts to deteriorate, even in the midst of being a wealthy person. Uh, brings to mind Steve Jobs, who we know him as the developer of Apple products, one of the wealthiest people in the world. He ended up getting sick. Nothing, no amount of money could do anything to prevent that sickness from taking over? And what happened to all of his riches? I mean, they, they, they fly away. They float away. It's just, it, it's so uh, minimum that we're here on this life, that our riches are really not what we can live for. 
Don't believe money is going to satisfy you. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't believe money will solve all your problems. You know, God has given us so much that we think, well, if, if I've got enough in the bank, my car goes down, you know, there's a fire in my house, I can really trust in riches. God says, that's, that's not going to satisfy. Don't put our, that's not going to solve all your problems. Another idea, don't believe money is what will sustain your future. And then lastly, don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. It is uncertain that you, one, will have that wealth, and it's uncertain that for sure that wealth will not carry with you into eternity. And we've always heard it said, you've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind you, right, or a U-Haul behind it. You can't bring your possessions with you, and you can they are fleeting. Don't put your hope in uncertainty of riches. I was reminded of these truths about the riches that fade away. Just yesterday, I was uh, one of our one of the headphones that I use for around the house, listen to podcasts or music or whatever else. There were two wireless ones. One of them went out. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, what do we have in the drawer? I open our junk drawer. And I know everybody's got one of these junk drawers. It's just all your old junk that you just put in there, right? And looking for headphones. And I was surprised. We've got like three, four different pairs of headphones that who knows if they're working or not. But at one point, you bought those. You thought that those were going to be great. But in a very short amount of time, they collect dust because they're no longer working. They, they get thrown in a junk drawer because they're not something that's profitable or useful for you anymore. It's just a reminder, just a reminder that everything that we have follows that pattern in this life. Even our bodies break down to the sense of it does not last into eternity. But you know what does? Our eternal soul, our soul that is going to be in one of two different places after our body passes away. It's, always other, it's going to be in one of two places. One is with God in heaven, praising and glorifying him for the salvation that he's provided for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And I hope that's where all of us are. That's what we sang about this morning. That's what got my heart pumping. But the second place is not where we want to go. It's those who have trusted in treasures, trusted in this world. And at the end of that life, their soul does continue on into eternity, but because it's a sinful soul that has not uh, been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, God has to punish that soul, and, and he has to do it for all of eternity because our God is a holy and just God and an eternal God. And the sins that were passed on to us through Adam and Eve have created that break in relationship. And unless, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we accepted his forgiveness we have repented of our sins, and we live for him, we are going to have to pay for our penalty for our sins. God doesn't want you to be there. He doesn't want you to live for this world. He doesn't want you to live for the riches of this world. And to think that those are going to last into eternity, Paul sees that as important to say, don't live for this world. The rich, man, take the blessings that God has given you in this world, enjoy them, but put them in the rightful place. Don't live for him. Don't think that that's, that's the thing that you, that's going to make your life happy and enjoyable. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. He ends that phrase, verse 17, he says, But set your hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Again, God provides us everything that we need. If we go up those couple of verses, he says, We can be content because we know God He satisfies us and he will provide everything we need. For this body. 
and he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So the negative commands he gives us around riches, don't be haughty, and then don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Then verse 18, he switches his thought process and says, okay, Paul to Timothy, Timothy, tell them all the things not to do, but then let's flip it around. We can't just leave it there with all the the negatives. Let me tell you what you should teach them and what you yourself, Timothy, should do. Verse 18 says, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Verse 18 really focuses on this idea of using your treasure for good works. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. You know how many times he uses this idea of good that correlates back to God. He is our good and holy God. So that when we're serving God with our riches, we are using them to do good things like he is and like he did for us. What does that look like? Use your riches to do good for God's name. As you're using your, what God has given you for good, it's for his name, for his glory. People that see that and they see that your demeanor in life, it's going to be different than the way everybody else acts. You know, those who don't know Christ, their thought process is, I need to get as much money as I can. I am not going to give out more than I have to. It's, a, it's going to be about me. That's not the way we are supposed to be as Christians. We are to look, and as we do that, it's going to be different. We're going to do it for the name of Christ in the name of God, use your riches to do good for God's name. Use your riches to do good to others. Think about how you can use your possessions, your income, uh, what God has blessed you with to bless other people. And we talked about that a little a couple weeks ago. And one of the things was, have you thought of somebody that you can give a little bit of money to? I challenged you two weeks ago. Think of someone you could give, don't give a, give a hundred bucks to. No, did you take that? Did you think about that? Did you have a, a brainstorm of, hey, who can I bless with, with a little extra money? Or some other thing you've put into practice. Now, as we meet here and as we study God's word, it's not just to throw those ideas out or those thoughts out, but it's really for you to take them and say, God wants me to do this. I need to put it into practice. I need to think about this. And maybe it's not whatever suggestion I give you, but it is one that you should take and consider how can I grow in this area? How does God want me to not love riches and to, to, to work to, to show goodness to other people with my riches? Use your riches to do good to God's name. Use your riches to do good to others. And then the third last one here, use your riches to show the generosity of God. Use your riches to show the generosity of God. God has been so generous to us through his son, Jesus Christ, first and foremost, but then also through the possessions that he has given us. We don't deserve all the good things that he gives us. And when we recognize that, we're willing um, to give back to him. I think the thing that sticks out to me most in this, verse 18, though, is the last phrase. It says, they are to do good, to, do, to be rich in good works. And then lastly, it says, to be generous and ready to share. To be generous and ready to share. You know, sometimes we get that thought process of, well, I give my tithe, I give when something maybe." Uh, is important to me, and I want to give to that. But how about this last phrase? It says, uh, to, be, to be generous and ready to share. How, how, do, how would you think you line up to that idea? Are you a generous person? 
Are you ready to share? How about with your possessions? How about with your, your money, your, your own finances? Do you see that as your own? And hey, that's mine. Don't touch it. And I don't have to give it. Or are you generous? Are you looking for people that you can give above and beyond what you even think that they need in certain instances? That's the idea of generosity, above and beyond. Are you looking for people that you can bless above and beyond what they even need? That's what God is saying here through Paul. We need to be generous with the things that he has given to us. And then verse 19 is where he, he ends that section. Verse 19, thus storing up for up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Now, wait, 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 wait a second. It says we're supposed to store up for ourselves treasure. We just talked about not storing up for ourselves treasure. The difference is he's talking about for our eternal future. The treasure that's going to make the foundation for our eternal future are the good works and the riches that we use here for God and for other people. It's not the physical treasures that we can stockpile, build bigger barns and place those in. Those things don't carry us into the future, into eternity. This says, thus storing up for yourself treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What's truly life? It's eternity. The eternal life that we're going to live after this. I mean, the very few amount of years that we live in this world, 80, 90, 100, compared to eternity, is nothing. And that almost seems too big for us to even consider because you think of eternity, it just goes on forever. Sometimes I like to think backwards and think of how history helps us to see it. I mean, think back 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on the earth. We see all the different history that's taken place from then to now. But in God's sight, it's just a moment. And it's the same with your life. I mean, all the things that we treasure for ourselves here in stockpile mean nothing for eternity. But the blessings that we get from using the things that God has given us to bless other people, to bless the church, to bless those who are in need, those are the things that are going to last for all of eternity. It says it here, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So as we leave this letter, number one, we're looking at the big picture of life and we're being reminded by Paul Firstly, that your life as a Christian must not revolve around your earthly treasure. He's trying to get our mind off of that. Then he almost seems to, to turn and make a switch in these last two verses, verses 20 and 21. And he goes from riches and he goes from this life to then going back to what he is writing this letter to Timothy for. And that is to encourage him in the faith and to tell him to be faithful and truthful with God's word. So number two for us today, is your life as a Christian must embrace and guard the truth of God's word. Your life as a Christian must embrace and guard the truth of God's word. And what does that look like? That means, first of all, embracing it. Embracing it looks like submitting to that, humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, and confessing him, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. That means repenting of your sin, repenting of living for yourself in this world, But that's what it looks like to first and foremost embrace the truth of God's word. It it has to come through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's our number one step. How about you? Have you taken that step today? Have you recognized your sin and confessed it to God and asked Jesus to be your Savior? 
And then after that, have you lived a life for him? Not a perfect life, not a sinless life, because we all struggle and our sanctification is up and down because this sinful nature that we have will continue on until Jesus returns. But is, a, is it a life that's pointed towards Christ? And, and as you look to him, you see ways that you're, you're struggling and you need his help? That's what the Christian life looks like. We first and foremost, we need to embrace God's truth and accept it. But then this passage really focuses a lot on the idea of guarding the truth of God's word. Look at verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and the the contradictions of which is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. And even in this verse 20, he starts out, and remember, he talked to Timothy just a week ago and called him, O man of God, but he almost changes his tone here. And just even the way that he, he talks to Timothy, and he says, O Timothy, remember, we're good friends. And, and even in that, the, the way that he addresses them focuses in the, the loving, tender care that they have for each other as friends. As friends. You can imagine Paul and Timothy, they were traveling companions. They had many nights of sitting, maybe around a fire, maybe in a room that they were staying in talking about their Christian walk, talking about what God had done through them through Jesus. And he's, got, he's built this friendship, but now they've been away from each other for a while, and now he, he comes back and he says, Ah, oh, Timothy, remember our time together. Remember what God has called you to do. Don't forget about it. It's important for you. He says, Oh, Timothy, here's the thing. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Now, what is that deposit? That deposit, that deposit is the truth of God's word. And he tells Timothy, give him that job, says, guard the deposit entrusted to you. It brings this picture of giving something to Timothy for him to keep and make sure that nothing else uh, warps that or changes it. He doesn't say, here, Timothy, here's something that God has given to you. It's your job to understand it and to change it the way that you want it to be. He said, no, the truth of God's word is for you to keep and to guard and to make sure No wrong teaching is being placed on it, which is going to lead people away from God's word. This is what we find as the job of pastors and elders and deacons and faithful Christians in the church. And this is your job, to be faithful and guard the truth that we find in God's word. When people bring things to you and you have questions of, man, is that that true about what the Bible says? What? It's your responsibility to dive into it and ask uh, faithful, maybe even more mature Christians who have had the ability or uh, opportunity to study that out to understand inside of God's context, his word, what his truth is. And then we submit to it, and we guard it, and we hold it tight. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. And he says one way that he needs to do that is to avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. He says, Timothy, you're going to have all these people coming in that say they know better than God's word. They understand it more. But, but you, are, you know where you've been and where we've been together as fighting for Christ and sharing the message. Timothy, hold fast to that. Hold steady to that. Don't let anybody change it. That's the most important thing. And then verse 21, For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. And he ends with grace be with you. If you let people come in and swerve from the, to the left or the right from the true knowledge, the truth of God's word, it takes them away from the faith. 
It, it takes our kids away from the faith. It's not training them up in the ways of the Lord. Timothy understands this, and that's why he tells, or Paul understands it, and that's why he challenges Timothy to stay faithful and true to the truth of God's word. When I was a kid, one, uh, one of the things I liked to do for a little while was collect sports cards, right? Baseball cards and basketball cards. And I think I still have a couple binders in my, in my closet somewhere that I'm just hoping one day they're going to be worth something big, right? Uh, but imagine for just a minute that I call you up and I say, hey, let's go out for coffee. I've got something that I want to give you. And as we sit down to coffee, I reach into my pocket and I pull out a card. And this card is a rookie Babe Ruth card, okay? Oh, yeah, I know. It's a chuckle. It's funny. And I say, you know what? Uh, none of my kids like baseball. I've got no one to give this to. I want you to hold on to this, and you can keep it. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be here long, so I want something, you to take care of this valuable thing. Now, could you imagine if you got that gift and said, oh, great, well, wonderful, and you were just haphazard with it? You bring it home, would you throw it on the counter next to the sink? and get the crumbs and all the, you know, whatever, water, milk around there that's the same, well, you wouldn't do that. Would you say, bring it home and say, hey, kids, look at this. Go give it to the kids. No, you wouldn't, okay? You would guard it. You would protect it. You'd probably buy a safe so you can put in there. You don't want your kids bending those corners or doing anything, right? I mean, we can have a funny story like that, but it, it brings us to the point of how do we treat God's word? God's word and the truth in it is something that we need to guard and protect and see is so much more valuable and worthwhile to live our life for and after the truth of God's word. And that's what he says, guard, guard it, Timothy. Don't let it, uh, anybody take your church and the churches of Ephesus and the surrounding areas away from it. Remember in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says this to Timothy, He says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And we talked about when we went through that passage, the idea that the church's job is to be a foundation, those pillars holding up God's word as what's most important for life and godliness and function. That's what he leaves Timothy with. He leaves him with those two ideas. Don't love the world, the riches of the world. Use those riches to bless other people and show godliness to other people. And then, number two, trust and protect and guide the Word of God. Treasure it in your heart, but treasure it enough that you guard it, you keep it, you want to do what's right with it. As we close, I'm going to just be reminded of the rich young ruler. Jesus has this interaction with the rich young ruler. And the ruler comes to him and he says, how do I inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, that's, you've got to keep the commandments. You've got to do what the Bible tells you to do. And of course, the arrogance of the rich young ruler comes out and he says, well, those, I've done those since I was a little child. And we know that that cannot be true fully. I mean, he's tried to, of course, but it can't be true. And Jesus, seeing right through uh, this rich young ruler's response, he points the finger right at his heart and in his response helps get right to the heart of this rich young ruler. Jesus says in response, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. 
He says, don't live, it reiterates exactly what Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, don't live for the treasures of this world. And it was hard for this rich young ruler because he had treasures. He had great wealth. And Jesus says, I know you're treasuring those things more than you're treasuring me. And here's what you need to do. Turn away from loving anything more than God and serve him faithfully. And that's what Paul leaves Timothy with today. And he leaves you with today. Treasure God most. Live your life to serve and follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time in this book of 1 Timothy and the, the words of wisdom and encouragement and challenge that Paul has given to Timothy that we got to hear has been a blessing for me as a pastor to study and for our church as a congregation to, to learn from and to put into practice. Um, help, uh, help all the wisdom from this book not to fall on deaf ears, Lord. Help us to remember who we serve, to love you faithfully, and uh, take it with us as we go. Thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.